join the team at sport-social.co.uk. Hello, welcome back to the Masterclass the Tactical Podcast. I'm your host, Haydar Rabani. Manchester United have just won 1-0 against West Ham United. A massive victory, Rob, for second place, really. You know, that was a much-needed win. Leicester winning 5-0. Not the prettiest performance, but at this stage, we just need to get the three points on the board. So, how are you? Welcome back. And what were your thoughts on tonight? Well, pretty performances don't get you four points. So, what matters now is winning. So, if you win... And it's not pretty, you still get three points. And that's all that really matters. I think today, this game, it was really kind of centred around as much as what West Ham wanted to do, as much as what Manchester United wanted to do. West Ham came, they parked the bus. I think that was quite obvious they were going to do that when we saw the, the team sheet. It was going to be kind of 3-5-2, even less than that, people dropping even deeper. And we all know that Manchester United's kryptonite, as I tweeted, is the low block. Why? because they're not technical enough. They don't move the ball quick enough. And that's something that we know is endemic of this United side. But credit to them, when they got the goal, it changed the game. I think obviously when West Ham came forward a little bit more, Manchester United could play in transition. And really, United probably should have had a second or a third on the weight of play and, and the chances that they had. Um, but a really good three points, especially after Leicester collected their three points earlier in the day. All Manchester United have to do now is keep winning it doesn't have to be pretty it doesn't have to be you know you're kind of heart pumping out your chest because you saw a beautiful rabona that ends up in the back of the net but then you lose those things don't really matter what matters is winning and one nil is always good enough nice little dig at jose Mourinho there rob that wasn't a um, dig that was a <laughs> dig that, that was not a dig that's just facts <laughs> no it's true look it wasn't pretty today, let's be honest. Um, I wasn't expecting anything other than what we saw today. I was expecting... I thought West Ham would come with a little bit more impetus. I thought they'd be a bit more uh, adventurous. You know, they've been really good this year. I, you can definitely see they miss Jesse Lingard. He links, you know, the midfield with attack. He, he buzzes around. He, he's been really integral for them. So I think that was, first and foremost, one of the massive uh, bonuses for Manchester United not to have to deal with Jesse. Um, I'm sure he probably would have... Sod's lawyer would have scored against us. But looking at... Uh, you know, the, the starting lineup, 4-2-3 run as usual. We had McFred, Lindelof with Maguire at the back, Wan-Bissaka and Shaw. And then you had the front three. So Marcus was called fit. He didn't look fit to me, Rob, if I'm being honest with you. He looked off the pace. Understandable. Um, and then you had Mason up at number nine and Dan James in the front three. And today, United dominated possession and territory as expected, really. As you mentioned, United needing to move the ball better. I think what we saw today was United still lack progressive passes in the team, especially from deep, which you spoke about many, many times. Shaw and Bruno being the ones really that are the probably the best progressive passes that we've got at the moment. But um, one player in particular that stood out to me, Rob, was Mason Greenwood. Now, he's been a player who's had probably a difficult season. He hasn't hit the heights in terms of his goal scoring um, tally that he had last season. He was fantastic, wasn't he, in that regard? But he was really, really dangerous today. He looks like his all-round games, games improved. He's definitely improved his creativity. You saw that ball to Marcus 
off the right. That's a big part of his game that's improved, and that's from playing on the right-hand side. He looks like his hold-up play is improving. He looks sharp. He looks confident. He just needs a goal, doesn't he, really? I mean, that Fabianski save was brilliant, but Mason's coming on leaps and bounds now, and I think Oli can now rely on him to be a number nine. I know it might be a bit early to say starting week in, week out, but he's a player for me that Oli can now turn to and it's an extra option at number nine. And with Cavani out injured and Martial, there's no reason why he can't take that spot from now to the end of the season with nine names to go, nine games to go in the league. I think for Mason, the, the last thing he needs to worry about at the moment is scoring. So when he's playing as a number one, of course you want your striker to score. And I think you saw today he went really close. Two or three really good opportunities, obviously hit the post as well. Um, but like you said, you're absolutely right. He, he looked dangerous today. He The effort was there. He was dialed in. He did all sorts of things today that I think fans generally miss. And what I mean by that is not in case of education or knowledge of the game or any of those kind of things, but it's about doing all the dirty work that brings everyone else into the game. So I tweeted at half time that one of the good things that Mason was doing was that he was he was playing the channels really well, both sides. He wasn't just going to his favoured right-hand side, he was going into the left. The issue for United's attack in those moments was actually Bruno Fernandes and Marcus Rashford. Why? Because they have to take that central channel when Mason goes wide. Now, that's the modern game. So when you think about it, when Martial plays there, Martial kind of will definitely always go to the left, never goes to the right, which is easier to defend against. And what we're seeing here, I think, is something that, long-term now needs to be solved about second-man runners. Now, of course, we know that Donny van der Beek is a second-man runner, so you could bring him into the team. However, he's not doing all the other things which get you in the picture. But I think it was great to say for Mason, you know, going into those channels, uh, making those runs, some of his qualities at ball on, on the ball, deliveries into the box were fantastic. Some players in our team need to learn that. Mason can do that already as a teenager. Um, and I do think that that's the kind of ultimate answer when you talk about chemistry. If you don't have a number nine that scores you 30 goals a year, you're Haaland or someone like that, someone who's going to be your Lewandowski or someone who's just generally always dangerous. You need a number nine that can do a little bit of everything, go into the, go into the channels and actually help your, uh, your teammates. So that was great today. I think with Mason... It is about runs of games. So we don't know how how long Martial's out for. We don't know really Cavani's availability. He seems to be kind of it's got a knock and seems to be not quite there, but but might be. There's plenty of opportunity to get Mason minutes in this position, even if it's not that he's starting Hader. It doesn't have to start as the nine every week. It just means that when you go into rotation, you may be kind of there's a player that's injured or tired today. Obviously, as you said, Marcus definitely looks like he's a little bit laboured. But with the importance of the result, you couldn't really take any of your main players off. You're relying on them to get you over the line. In weeks to come, there will be scenarios where you can still play Mason Greenwood as the nine. And that opens it up for Ole. So what you're seeing is Ole's projecting for the future happening in the present. So he's looking at, at Mason and he's thinking, right, I want Mason to be a number nine. Let's see if the boy can actually do some of that. Because then it means that on the right-hand side, if you don't bring in a Sancho or someone like that, You've got Ahmed, you know, you've got James, who's now showing that he can at least play in this team, whether like whether people rate him or not, that's a different matter. But it was good. And I think the thing is today, United, the balance wasn't quite there in the attack. I think Bruno, he gets an assist. He gives the ball away so much. If he wasn't getting these numbers with goals and assists, I would be saying, is it time to drop him? 
because he gives the ball away so often. Even at the end there, I think in the final moments, he dilly-dallies, uh, he gets caught by Rice. It wasn't a foul. It gets given because he sells it. He's very lucky. That could have been a breakaway and West Ham might have scored. But he does it a lot. And it's not something I want to kind of dwell on because this week Manchester United won and there's no need to dwell on those bad points. But it is concerning because I look at that and I think, well, if you're not scoring goals in the future and weeks and months to come, then you kind of have to look at it and say, well, what do you actually do? Bruno Fernandes needs to play higher up the pitch. I want him to be the second man runner. I want him to be in the box. I want him scoring goals and worrying about that and not necessarily dropping 50, 60, 70 yards to go and get the ball of McTominay or Fred. Would it be nice to have some ball plays in there today? Like you said, a Pogba would have been invaluable in this kind of game, but we haven't. So you have to play with what you've got. And I think we did okay. The tactics were fine. No issues before 2-3-1. I think McTominay and Fred were split. You had McTominay pushing up a little bit more, doing all the work against Rice. And Rice, a player obviously United fans really like. Did he do enough today for me to say that he's better than Scott McTominay? Well, he probably is better than Scott McTominay, but I'm not sure he's £80 million better than Scott McTominay, which is kind of the price that you'll be looking at, 60 to 80. Yeah, I, mean, I do want to touch quickly, Rob, on the, the Bruno point. I mean, there's a comment here saying it doesn't help. There's a lack of movement from the players ahead of him. That's the big thing I've noticed. And we can maybe like, we can go on to um, United against low block teams because we saw last week, look, you play Manchester City and we can, we can tear them to shreds or any team on the sh to shreds on the counter. We're fantastic in transition. It seems to suit the makeup of our squad. Then you look at uh, today and it was obvious that we were going to dominate territory. We we're going to dominate possession, which is what we did. And there was a lack of movement, off the ball movement. And it's not a problem that is new to us. It's something that we see quite a lot. There's not enough players, you know, looking for pockets of space. There's not enough players sort of drifting out wide, running in behind. Um, you know, coming short. And I do think while Bruno has been not at the level we expect from him over the last maybe couple of months, I do think, and you did touch on it, with McTominay and Fred behind him, neither of them are the sort of players that are going to dictate possession. They're not the sort of players that are going to look to pick out passes. I do feel like he drops back because of those two. When, when Pogba was playing, I know Pogba's injured, but we did find that Bruno had a bit more time on the ball. He seemed to stay further up a little bit more. So I do think that it's it's kind of... It's not all of Bruno's fault, but I think that the fact that he's got McFred behind him, I think that does contribute to why it's difficult. Um, but I do think that Oli perhaps needs to tell him, like, stay where you are. I think this free roll that he's getting is a little bit too much of a free roll. You know, it, it does sometimes disrupt the balance. I feel like he gets into positions where, you know, he shouldn't be, like you say, he should be getting in the box. So it's, it's a quite a bit of a dilemma, but I do think that once you get someone like Pogba behind him or, or someone of that ilk, I think you will see him looking forward rather than looking to come back and collect the ball. I think that he doesn't actually have a free role per se in the team. So a kind of Trekarista wandering number 10. I don't think he really has that. Why is that? Because he doesn't really turn up in those pockets like you just mentioned there. You know, he doesn't really turn up in the channels or kind of on the wing or something like something like Wamata would do when he plays as a 10. You know, he'd kind of just naturally go in his areas. What, what we tend to see is that he drops deep because he wants to come and collect the ball. It's kind of, as I said in previous shows, the Wayne Rooney effect. Wayne Rooney used to do exactly the same thing when he played as a 10. He was like, I'm going to come 50 yards to get the ball because that's what I want to do. And he wasn't playing in a free role either. He was playing as a number 10 and playing as a forward. 
I think the issue with Bruno, and you were just saying there you highlighted McTomin uh, McTominay and Fred. Yes, McTominay and Fred are not the best passers of the ball. But the issue is not the ball from McTominay and Fred to Bruno. The issue is Bruno and the ball to someone else. So that's why I highlight it. That's why I say this is a Bruno problem and not a problem with everyone else. So when, yeah, Paul Pogba's in there, World Cup winner, world-class midfielder, and he's got the ball, there might be a little bit more faith as in the, the pick and pop in midfield. You might play more one-twos. You might get on the front foot a little bit more. But I think in these scenarios, Bruno Fernandes has to take responsibility for himself. So, you know, and I think he tries to. It's not that he's reneging responsibility or trying to be a maverick or any of those kind of things. But at the end of last season, he was interviewed and he said something very specific. And he said, the manager, obviously Ole, has told me not to run around so much, to conserve my energy and to concentrate playing in the final third. However, that's not like how I want to play. That's not what I do. Now, we know that Bruno Fernandes we're seeing now is exactly the one we saw at Sporting. It's the same thing. He would be all over the place. He'd come and pick the ball up deeper. The difference is, is that in the Premier League, if you pick the ball up deep and you play a bad ball, you're going to get punished. You might not get punished in Portugal. So this is the issue, I think, and this is the kind of long-term outlook for Manchester United. Just how, what, do, what does Ole do to correct this? What does Bruno do to correct this? I do think the correction has to be that Bruno either plays as a false nine so then you do play Mason slightly wider and you play Bruno through the middle and he is, and that's his role and he's told that and that's obvious. Or he plays it like he should do and that he just plays higher up the pitch and he waits for that 10, 15, 20-yard ball from McTominay and Fred and they can play it. They might not be technically the most blessed footballers, but they can play 20-yard balls to feet. They're not complete, you know, imbeciles. Yeah, they do give the ball away. But as I said today, the issue is, is Bruno giving the ball away. And this has been the issue maybe for repetitively for months and months and months and months. Had this been nil-nil with 10 minutes to go, I don't would I wouldn't have said to myself, right, what we need is Bruno Fernandes dropping deep to get this ball and get United ticking. That's not what I'd have thought. That's not how I thought it was panning out. But I do think with Bruno, that is it, it's potentially an issue if you stop winning games. So when United were in that run of, what was it, three wins out of 10, and everyone was banging on Ole's door and saying, Ole, your tactics are this, that, or the other. For me, it was more about the prime players, the prime candidates. It was Rashford, it was Bruno. It was about their performance levels and whether they were tired, how they could reproduce kind of their best, and so forth. I think with, with Bruno today, it wasn't really tiredness. Again, it's just bad decisions. That last minute there, with two minutes to go, if you've got Declan Rice up your backside, get rid of that ball quickly. Yeah, don't stand on it and spin on it. Pogba used to do that and people used to get very, very upset with him and they'd call him all sorts of names. Yet Bruno does it and people don't really say a lot. Yeah, that's that's very fair. Rob, let's move on to Luke Shaw today. Look, every single week we're talking about Luke Shaw. Another another fantastic performance straight away from the, from the off. What I'm so impressed with, Rob, is, and I just didn't think he had it in him I said this at the beginning of the season. I know you said that he was a player that you expected to surprise a few on uh, Usman's podcast. But um, look, Luke Shaw driving forward. It's been really good to watch. Like uh, His development over this season, so direct and quick. He has this kind of pace that I didn't think he had in him anymore after that leg break. He had the strength to hold off the opposition as well, fullback as well. I believe it's uh, Kufel. And then you see him get a cross off. And he did that a few times tonight. He, for me, throughout that game, was actually Manchester United's most um, most attacking player or everything good that's coming through him. 
another great performance yeah. Robin. What, what can we say about short because uh, we're running out of superlatives for him i mean what can he what can he do to get even better maybe add assists to his game um, but you need people to get on the end of the ball as well and get into good positions we put in quite a few crosses tonight and i was thinking you know possibly imagine if cavani or someone was playing like that and we could have maybe got people on the end of it i think that's one area maybe where mason um probably faltered tonight was not getting into the right areas to get on the end of these crosses but apart from that i mean i thought Shaw was another fantastic performance I think there's plenty more we can say about Luke Shaw because the story of Luke Shaw at Manchester United is a long and checkered one. And we can kind of look at kind of matching points as to why we are where we are now with him. Luke Shaw has started to play the game up here in his head. Luke Shaw no longer cares about what's going on around him. Luke Shaw doesn't think, is Harry Maguire slow? Do I have to cover him? Luke Shaw doesn't think, oh, right, here we are in a, in a kind of later stages of the game do I need to kind of dilly dally on the ball do I need to kind of slow things he doesn't think like that anymore he thinks I'm the best fullback on this pitch I can hurt the opponent and I'm going to hurt them simple the game is simple play it in a simple fashion play to your strengths this is what Luke Shaw has done and transformed he's, he's always been fit but he's now kind of gone on to that next level of fitness. And what I mean by that is straight line speed. So he gets the ball. And even if he doesn't get the ball, he says, well, my job is to overlap. So I'm off. I'm off. See you later, everyone behind me. This is my job. Yeah, I don't need to think about what you lot are doing. I don't need to think, Harry, behind me, you're dead slow. And so is Victor next to you. My job is to go that way. And when I get the ball that way, you bet I'm going to be productive. So that's great because it helps with your shape. And this is why Luke Shaw was man of the match today, because he was one of the guys pushing the envelope, getting United up the pitch. And to be absolutely 100% frank, he has been doing it game after game after game. The kind of United fans that went after him last season, who were saying that he was uh, overweight and useless and had no chance and all of this, it kind of is a little bit like pushing their face into the kind of proverbial pie, isn't it? Because... He's playing at such an elite level now. Uh, he's playing at a level where he would get in any team in the world. That's how good he is at the moment. And he's deserving these big ups. You know, you should absolutely big up these kind of performances. If we had 11 Luke Shaws, it's kind of the old way of putting it when someone's playing well, you would win the league because it's all about mentality. And I think Luke Shaw's mentality is elite now. I think he's shown that he's a world-class left back and now he needs to sustain it. This needs to carry on next year and the year after that. The big concern with Luke, of course, is fitness. Can he stay fit for prolonged periods of time? At the moment, we're saying yes. He's had a couple of knocks, but nothing out of the kind of usual. He's not been out for long spells. But the good thing is that when he has been out and come back into the team, either rested or rotated or because he's got a knock, nothing changes. It's the same Luke Shaw, the one that we like, the one that fans have to respect. Uh, I'm really pleased for him. I think he is the best player at the club at the moment. For me, he's the player of the season. I know Bruno, as I said, will be the guy that gets plaudits because of the numbers. There's no doubt that, again, Bruno gets a, goes to get, takes a corner today, ends up on someone's head and it goes into the back of the net. Whether that assist goes to him or not doesn't really matter. He's the guy that's made the play. So that's why Bruno gets plaudits. But for me, Luke Shaw has helped and aided United's shape. The best way you could say it today, Haydar, was you could see what was going on the opposite side, what the problem was. And that was Aaron Wambasaka, who I think has played better in the last few months, last month or two, improved performances, more energy, kind of more focused. Today, when he was playing against a low block, didn't have 
the foggiest. Didn't have a clue what to do. Didn't couldn't get behind. Couldn't help Dan James. Dan didn't James have the was attention, Rob, either or the touch. Yeah, and, and and he doesn't have the touch. He doesn't really have the kind of um the kind of what I would call a long wave kind of view of the game. You know, he doesn't think three get three passes in front. He thinks one pass behind. You know, that's how his his brain is kind of wired. He's a defender, but a defender who has also got attacking upside because he's got pace. He can get round. But he doesn't really do it because it's either he's not confident or doesn't have maybe the football intelligence in that moment. Whereas Luke Shaw is the opposite. Luke Shaw absolutely has those that intelligence and is now kind of adding confidence to his game. So that's a real kind of a point for Ole to, in the summer, really think about. Because, yes, I think he'll probably strengthen right back. He'll find someone, not necessarily a... 50, 60 million pound right back. Someone but someone like Trippier, who's maybe or someone like that. Yeah, Aaron. <laughs> Trippier's, yeah, Trippier, not, not my favorite. Aaron's is much more, I think, more likely because of price and style. You know, he's an attacking fullback. He can get assists. Um, obviously, you know, he's, he's a player that many clubs want by Munich are really hot on him and he could end up there. But that's the kind of, again, these are things for Ole to think about now going forward. Certainly, he's, he's got his new contract now, Ole. You'd expect it to be at the club next season. There isn't really a challenge in terms of coaching for someone who can come into the team like that if United wanted to make a change. And it's all about building. United need to keep building this project now and going forward. And I feel good about it. When I look at the players we've got, they're not always the most exciting. They're not always making the correct decisions. And yes, there's still things wrong. But there's also a lot of things that are right. Today, Manchester United win this game 1-0. If this game was at the start of the season, in the first 10 games of the season, United probably draw or lose this, like the Palace game, you know, where they couldn't really change things in that first game. They didn't really have the impetus or the tempo. I mean, the good thing was today is that they got a goal from a set piece, which I thought was fantastic, you know, because we are so bad from corners, both ends of the pitch. So I felt really good about that. But then United controlled matters a little bit more. They let West Ham obviously do what they wanted to do. But overall on the front foot, it was a decent performance. I just wish I'd got a second goal because I probably deserved it. Yeah, I agree. Look, job done as well. I do want to say there's a lot of... Uh comments as well about Harry Maguire. He had a really good game as well. Solid and the defence was solid today. Didn't have much to do. No shots by West Ham in the first half, but Maguire did get on the end of a lot of blocks as well. And I thought he had a good game and uh, yeah, he deserves credit as well and a shout out as well. Rob, let's move on to, to some questions, guys. Get all your questions in. Thank you for your interaction tonight. Uh, you know, an important result. One here from Gerard and it says, do we need a better pass than a double pivot against the lower teams? Or don't play do uh, two DMs. I kind of want to twist that a little bit, Rob, and I want to pose it in the sense of breaking down low blocks. Because I think that's something that we've seen time and time again. It's something United have improved this season because last season we dropped a lot more points against these lower sides. But it is still a problem. And I think looking at it, look, we know there's two ways to do that. You know, you can play with width or you try and play through them. We've said before that it's difficult for United to play through because they don't have the players to play that one-touch football. Um, you know, and I think in the wide areas we saw today, like you mentioned earlier, a lack of balance. I, I felt like there wasn't enough going down the right. A lot came down the left. This idea that United played two DMs, I don't really subscribe to that. I think that it's perhaps misunderstood that just because you play 4 2 3 you're playing two deep players. I think it's just the fact that McTominay and Fred aren't perhaps the most progressive on the ball and it might come across like that. But um, what would you be, you know, sort of saying to, saying to the team to do? Because 
it is a problem that's coming up. And I feel like if you if you manage to nullify Bruno Fernandes, if you manage to close the passing lanes towards him um, and you cut off the, the supply to him, I think it's quite easy to stop Manchester United and then and then you're able to put your game onto them. Absolutely. But again, I'll just reiterate what I said a minute ago. The supply to Bruno Fernandes today was not cut off. Bruno Fernandes had plenty of the ball in all of the positions that you might want him to have it, you know, whether it's him dropping deep or going wide or kind of playing as a, as a number 10 or in and around the box. He had loads of it today. So the issue really was what Bruno was doing with the ball at his feet, not when the ball was coming to him. I think there's also a misconception, like you're saying there, 4-2-3-1 does not mean you're playing with two central defensive midfielders. Fred and McTominay might play deeper at times, but they're not really your classical, what I would call Kante kind of central defensive midfielders. They're not really either a Carrick screener where they're coming to screen the defence and look after in a in a what would be a kind of 4-1-4-1 maybe formation. Or, and they're also not kind of just doing what Matic would do, which would almost be like a third centre-back at times, slipping back into the, the centre channel, allowing maybe Maguire to go further left and Lindelof to go further right. So that's not really what we saw today. Certainly wasn't two defensive midfielders. They were playing very much split and you had McTominay was playing more as a number eight going that way. And you were having Fred, who was maybe more of a number six, but also still being relatively progressive. Now, as you said there, not great at passing the ball. We know this. But the problem with Manchester United, and this is how I look at it, it's passing the ball everywhere, every position. That's what you've got to get better at. So when my world-class attacking midfielder who's got me 20 goals and 20 assists and man of the match awards coming out of his ears can't pass a ball, I do feel worried. That's what worries me more. When Scott McTominay can't pass a ball, gives it away, I'm not worried because it's not particularly his overall function. His overall function is to work hard and to lay the ball off and give it to people who can play. Now, that's the balance in a team. Is that, yes, I would love Pogba in there. Yes, I would love someone who's a better ball player in there in the pivot. But that's not the problem. That's not what's stopping United being better against a low block. The, the pivot today was quite high up. And that's because when United have played these games and we saw it against Chelsea and we saw it also against City, they've taken a really high line. So they're being brave. It's a coaching decision. The centre-backs are pushing as high up as they can, which allows your full-backs to go. Yeah, the full-backs don't need to stay level. They go and play that end of the pitch. And your double pivot kind of almost supports Bruno. So Bruno doesn't have to come too deep. But when he turns his back to the goalkeeper and he's facing his own team... He's then got these two players to work with. Now, the issue is not the out ball from the pivot to Bruno. The issue is when Bruno gets the ball and gives it away. The issue is when Marcus gets the ball and gives it away. The issue is when Dan James gets the ball and gives it away. The, as well was, the was issue the is when Basaka pushes forward and gives the ball away. The issue is when Mason gives the ball away. And I think actually Mason was quite good today. So we, we can't highlight that. However, we have said that about Anthony Marshall at times when he drops in, goes to that left-hand side and gives the ball away. These are endemic issues that keep going round and round at Manchester United. So that's it's those positions that we've got to fix it in. So you've either got to task these guys and make sure that, that they can do it better, or you kind of say to them, right, right, now we go and buy people that might be able to do this job better than what you can. So these are kind of the, the big philosophical questions that Ole's going to have to answer over the summer about whether he trusts these guys to get better and to keep the ball at that end of the pitch. One thing I really want to highlight, and... I think people probably might not have realised this. They might have done. It'll be interesting to see if we see anything in the comments. In the 90th minute, again, 
The ball goes up to Marcus Rashford. He heads it up in the air. He turns. He's facing the corner flag. And all he's got to do is go and run into it with the ball. 90 minute, 90th minute, 91st minute. What did he do? Played the ball inside to Bruno, into the channel to have a shot at goal. United lose the ball almost immediately. It goes to the left. That's when Bruno loses the ball in the centre of the park again. 91st minute. Oh, no, it's Dan James. Sorry. Dan James commits a foul, gets a yellow card on the other side of the pitch, and West Ham punt it 70 yards. That's just... Again, it's just complete stupidity. Marcus yeah. needs to run oh, the ball yeah. in the corner in the 90th minute and goes, my job is to keep this ball. And when he runs there, Bruno runs with him, Mason runs with him, and they go and play five-yard keep balls in the corner. Now, that's not Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's fault, right? Because there's no way that Ole will be telling him to play that ball inside. Absolutely no fear. No football person says, go and score that second goal in the 90th minute. You say, protect what you've got at that moment. But Marcus plays the ball inside, and as soon as you play inside, you can lose it. It happened against Everton, and that lost Manchester United two points. And today, when that happened, I was really kind of like, uh, biting my hand is kind of like, oh my God, we're doing it again. They're the things that worry me, Hayda. Not massively worried about whether Scott McTominay is going to turn into Pirlo. It ain't going to happen, so I'm not going to worry about it. I think McTominay can do what Declan Rice did today. Declan Rice is very, very good and will probably get better as a 22-year-old going on. Scott's two years older, but scored seven goals this year. So there's a function there. You know, he does... I, I he's, think, yeah, he's fulfilling I think, certain functions. Yeah, I think... Um... I do agree with that. I think we know McFred's limitations, so I don't expect anything different from them today. I, I, what I saw from them today is what I saw. You know, in, in games we saw against um, City, yeah. you know, they, 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 were, they were fantastic against City and they did what you wanted them to do. They're disciplined, they worked hard, they broke up play, they got the ball forward quickly. It's games like this we knew. And look, we, we don't have many options. No Paul Pogba, Matic just has fallen off the cliff. There's a question. A lot of injuries. There's a lot of injuries yeah. at the moment as well at the club. Well, they've got Matic. no choices at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll touch on Matic in a bit because um, there is a good question. We'll, we'll do that in a little little while. Yeah, but you know, there are, there are you know, there are limitations on what we can do in the midfield. However, what I will say though is that at times, we, we are sloppy in possession. We don't move the ball quick enough. And look, these are professional footballers. I'm for, for you know, for 50 million pounds, and you look at Fred, I don't think he, sometimes he looks worse than what he is. I don't think he's he's a great player by any means. But, you know, the basics sometimes he's not doing, McTominay at times. Um, but, you know, on that point with Rice and McTominay, I think where I like to see McTominay is getting forward more. Like you said, scored seven goals. He's got a great shot on him, great technique. He's powerful. He's got an engine, covers a lot of ground. Get him further forward. I think Rice is much better as someone that's going to sit deeper. Um, you know, and that's that's where I think they probably probably are a little bit different. Um, but there's quite a few questions, Rob, about Ollie's new deal. We'll touch on this now. We, we, yeah, let's do that. We, I think we should do that. And then we'll also talk about the new director of football and technical de uh, yeah. director. Yeah. Because obviously that's huge news for Manchester United. So let's start with um, Ollie's new deal. That's a question here by Tabitha. Thoughts on Ollie's new deal? Now... I tweeted today. Let me just let me sh show where I'm coming from on this. It's by no means saying Oli out, which I think a lot of people may have misconstrued it as. I think that United should be looking to renew Oli Gunnar Solskjaer's um, contract if he gets top four. That's what I think. And I think that's fair to do that. That's not me saying to sack him. What I think is wrong, in my opinion, yes, you can have the conversations, but if they go and give a new contract now, before the season's ended, before we know where we finish in the league, I think that's wrong. And I'll tell you why I think that's wrong, because I think that, yes, he's done a lot of good, but you've got to reward on 
performance. We haven't hit our objectives yet, so I don't think you should be giving a new contract because we don't know what's going to happen from now till the end. United are very capable of having a monumental collapse. We could go and lose out of the next nine. We could go and lose three or four, and that's it. We get sucked back into the top four race. I just think the club need to be a bit more smart. We gave Jose Mourinho a new contract um, near the end of that second season. We obviously gave Oli his full-time contract before the season had ended. I just think the club need to be a little bit more smart and just wait till the season ends and give him a new contract. It's not me saying we shouldn't give him one. Um, I have my own personal views on the manager. You know this and everyone that listens knows this, but that doesn't stop me from turning around and saying, if he gets second, if he wins a trophy, even if he doesn't, he gets second, he deserves a new contract. And I think that's the right way to do it. I think when we get sentimental or when we rush things, United have done that time and time again. We need to be logical. We need to do this properly. Wait till the end. Wait till we know exactly whether Oli's hit his objective or not. And then we look to build for next season. Well, I tell you this, there's absolutely nothing sentimental about the Glazers or Ed Woodward. So let's just put that straight in the bin. They do not make decisions based on sentiment or Manchester United or anything about the history of the football club. Absolutely not. Not trying to kind of just kill that, but that is the truth. Yeah, they don't do it. Um, I agree with you on half of that and half not. What I will say is this, is that when they made Ole the permanent manager, you know, two and a bit years ago, and they triggered that early because United were on such a good run of form, that I think did contribute to United's kind of collapsing towards the end of the season. Everyone got a little bit more comfortable. United went on a really horrendous run, missed the top four when it looked like they were they were odds on to get to the top four. They'd kind of, you had that kind of 20-game run, didn't they, under Ole, where they looked fantastic and ripping teams to shred. And then suddenly that contract's announced and it all falls apart. So there is this kind of maybe some um, paranoia dilemma that maybe we've all got within us where we kind of go, is history going to repeat? We give Ole this deal. We're still not 100% sure. Is that what I would do? What I would say to fans is this. It doesn't matter what you would do. It really doesn't. This is a business deal. And if Ole was to fail, would the Glazers sack him because he didn't get top four? Yes, he'd just get a payoff. That's how it works. So again, I do think that that people play these things in their heads with football, like it is a football game, you know, like it's FIFA or something like that. I get a new contract for two years on a on um, a football manager, and that means I've got the job. It doesn't stop you getting sacked on football manager either. You still get sacked if you get a new contract, and it happens like that in real life. I think fans get a little bit too worked up about it. It's not important. Yeah, he's got his deal because that would have been negotiated with the club. They've announced it today. They probably wanted to do it in a way that, not that it kind of flies underneath the radar, but it's not huge news for Manchester United. Ole's got the team to second. The team have overall over that year period, say of 12 months, I think performances have improved. There's still weaknesses. He's taken younger players and made them uh, play, made them better. He's getting more productivity out of certain players. Luke Shaw is now suddenly a world-class left-back. You know, the defence is is maybe weaker, but United have scored more goals this year. There's, there's kind of balancing points, but it doesn't really work like that. You don't get to the last day of the season and then the Glazers go, well, right, let's talk about this contract. It doesn't really, football doesn't really work like that. I wouldn't give him a huge deal. He got, I think, a nine million pound extension, which I think is—it's—it's—it's—it's yeah. it's just it's just a bit of paper he signed, and it's like okay, does not stop people getting sacked. It really doesn't. I think fans believe it. It does. I think fans go, "Oh, they got a contract. I won't pay him off." Manchester United have absolutely showed that they sack people, and even players who are on huge deals like Alexis Sanchez for half a million quid a week. Yeah, they still 
pushed that deal off and got rid of the player and paid off a large part of that salary because they had to, because that was what, you know, they make the decision after a year, you go, I'm not doing it anymore. Same with Ole. You know, if um, we got to the end of the season, say it completely goes as a bus now and he ends up fifth, Every chance he gets sacked. We don't know also if there's a severance in it. Yeah, there could be a break clause in it that says if you do not get top four at the end of this season, your contract is null and void and we can sack you. That might be in the detail, but I'm speculating. But that's what cl football clubs will do to protect themselves because this is business. You know, businesses protect themselves. So I, I didn't get too high about it. When I kind of saw it, I, I commented on it this morning and just said, you know, I think, oh no, look, I don't think Ole's not deserved the contract. That's the way I'm looking at it. I'm kind of going, the upside is that if United do carry on, have a good summer, maybe recruit the right players and Ole continues that trend of recruiting good talent, then there's every chance that United become title contenders next year. And that contract looks good value. You, know, you don't then have to kind of give him more money later on down the line because he's actually be more successful. Fair points, fair points. I mean, for me, look, Naturally, clubs are going to have discussions with, they're not going to do it on the last day and go, right, okay, let's have our contract discussions. Well, uh, yeah. no, we all know that Jane Sancho, we had discussions with him and agreed quite a lot of the, you know, the terms before, mm. um, before he, before we, sorry, entered into the summer. So I don't think so. I just think that, I mean, Umka's got a question here saying, you know, should there be a change of manager if we don't get top four? He's asking for our views on that. Uh, look, for me, Rob, top four, for me personally, shouldn't always be the object objective or the ambition, but we know that is for the owners. We know that they care about that 100 million that you get for the Champions League uh, qualification. We know that they're not exactly here thinking about the footballing reasons. If Oli didn't get top four, for me, if he didn't, you got to look at precedent. Other managers didn't get top four, and that should be the minimum. And I think if he didn't, he probably would get sacked. Um, and I think that if that was the case here, and that's why I was thinking, you know, don't sign the contract now. You can have all the details done, but if he gets, you know, top four, gets second, whatever it is, then do it at the end of the season, and then we can go into the season. Because you can't have a manager going in. Um, it's something that I, you know, I've obviously discussed on other shows with Kieran. You know, his point is that we can't have a manager going into final year on the contract because that the players know immediately. Then you know he's not going to be here for the long term. Um, but okay, look, I'll just say Kieran is 100% correct. This is how businesses operate. You can't go in there with the manager's own future undecided because then how can you expect players to play their hearts out for that manager? So I look at it like this, like I just said there, that there, there, there potentially is a break clause in his contract that none of us know about because they don't publicize those things. It's all in there. They do it to protect themselves. I think if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer doesn't end up in the top four, there's every chance he gets sacked doesn't matter what contract he's got, you know, and I wouldn't be surprised that there is clauses in those contracts for years ahead that say, if you're not in the Champions League, that you might say lose 50, 60, 70% of your severance. That's, that's a normal thing in football that managers sign those deals because it's connected to performance. You know, that's kind of what we want. We want results. The club wants results. We're happy for you to be the manager as long as you get results. It's kind of as basic as that. And the Glazers really don't care about sentiment. They don't look at Ole and kind of stroke him on the head and go, oh, you're our little Ole who scored that goal in 99. They, they really don't care about any of that stuff. They, they are as cold-hearted as it gets in football. So I never look at it like that, where maybe fans, uh, I think, G up the soap opera side and say, oh, this is Glazernomics and all of this. I don't think it's any of those things. I think it's just business. And, you know, when I do my business for work, 
I have contracts, I sign them. If I don't fulfill certain criteria, then I lose those rights. I lose that employment. That's how it works. And it's the same in football. The same with footballers can be on big deals. Meza Ozil can sign the biggest deal in Arsenal history. And what happens? Meza Ozil gets sat on the bench, doesn't even play and is out the football club. So contracts don't mean everything. And it shouldn't mean anything to fans either. I don't think fans should really invest time on wondering whether a contract means someone's going to do better or not. Just judge what you see. You know, if, you, if your football club comes fifth, I think there's a question for fans to go, Ole's failed. I think that's that's honest. If we're here now and we're kind of second in the league and we end up fifth and we're out the Champions League. Yeah, it's not good. It's, I think it's a loaded gun. I think it really is a loaded gun and it's, and it's pointing at Ole's head. And then I think people are absolutely got the right to say, Ole out, Ole out, Ole out. What we got this morning was people going, Ole out because they don't like a contract. That's weird. That's not normal. You don't know what's in that contract. So there's no need to kind of respond to it in that manner. But I agree with Kieran. I think you've got to make sure that your manager's future is secure because then you can tell your players, right, guys, I want you at this club next year and we want to do a deal with you, Paul Pogba. So Paul Pogba might be saying, do you know what? I'll sign a deal next year if Ole's here. That might be something that's been talked about. We don't know. Absolutely. Well, we know full well. We know full well that Paul Pogba, one of the big points that he's made is that he's really happy playing for Ole. He's really happy stylistically and with the communication and all of that. He's made that quite clear. So if Manchester United want to secure Paul Pogba and keep him, one of the ways of doing that is keeping this manager. So these are these points. If you want to get Haaland, what do you say to Haaland? You know, you can come and play for the football club for a manager that you know really well. Another Norwegian. These things might all be interlinked. We just don't know. And Kieran has popped up here in the comments, Rob, saying problem is the contract would get done regardless. Can't have a lame duck manager. Something that myself and Kieran spoke about. In yeah, yeah, I agree with that, yeah. Um, you know, about him getting extension. We don't know how long it is. You know, my point still remains, that, that's just my opinion. It was never saying you should sack him. It was more to do with the fact no. that don't, don't announce it now. I think it's more general about the fan base, though. It's more general about the fan base, mate. You know, it's more it's more how they respond to these things, like their narratives, like they are Twitter tw trends, you know, and hashtags. You know, if, if you're going to kind of get invested in all that stuff, at least know what you're talking about. Those things are not really salient. It didn't affect the West Ham result today. I think people can say, oh, you know, I was bored with the game. It wasn't exciting. Those things are valid because it wasn't particularly a great game. But as I said at the start, at the top of the show, it's not really about entertainment at the moment. It's about winning. That's what Ole's paid to do. And they won today. They got over the line. I was worried in that last 10 minutes. I was thinking, is the masterclass going to be about the final 10 minutes where United mess it up? So when Marcus is in the corner and not going to the corner flag, that worries me. It's a red flag straight away. But overall, I think the guys did a good job today. And I think Ole's tactics were absolutely fine. Yeah, look, we we all said we just need to get the victory today, Rob. That's it. Look, we knew I, I was expecting a performance like this. I'm not surprised one bit. Um, you know, against was... a good West Ham team. You know, West Ham have been phenomenal this year, and they only looked like they turned up after they went one nil down, and I think that really hurt them in the context of the game. Um, but I thought that you know the fact that West Ham came and played the game that they did. That's out of respect for Manchester United. Now, we weren't seeing teams respect us maybe in the last two or three or four years. They were coming to Old Trafford and beating us and making us look a little bit silly. And there was no respect there. I think today David Moyes looked at that and said, right, I'd rather shut this door and make sure that we're playing a kind of lower block and we're going to frustrate, get to half time, make it nil-nil and see if we can win the game that way. And they almost did if that had worked out. It didn't quite work out for them.
Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think um, teams know that if they do sit back against Man United, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. We can destroy anyone in transition. We did to Manchester City, who are probably the the top side in Europe right now, Rob. And I think teams know that there, there is a bit more respect when you come to Old Trafford. The issue is, as we mentioned earlier on in the podcast, that we still haven't quite um, got to a level where we are comfortable breaking down teams and we're not quite good enough at it yet. And there's many factors uh, which we spoke about in the podcast. More ball players in the next yeah. transfer window, go and buy ball players. And it doesn't mean it doesn't have to be ball players in the pivot. It doesn't have to be a ball player to replace Scott McTominay. It has to be ball players everywhere. They've all got to get better in every position, in possession, out of possession with their movement, helping each other and doing it in a more way, in, in a kind of progressive way that is Manchester United football. That's what we want to see. We want to see better ball players across the whole of the park. Agree with that. Rob, let's talk about the director of football and technical yeah. director. Correct me if I'm saying his name incorrectly. John Murtagh, is that right? It's all right. Yeah. Yeah. John Murtagh. I was going to call him John. Um, <laughs> look, so there's obviously been a big overreaction and... I, I did a podcast uh, previously, you know, with Joe and Kieran about this, and we did we did discuss it in, in great length, and it was a really good discussion because we broke down uh, the experiences of each men, what their roles are. There's this the usual, the usual sort of uh, neuroticism as we've spoken about before, the overreaction. Oh, who are these guys? They're yes men straight away without even clarifying or understanding the roles. I mean, I saw some people saying. Oh, Fletcher's got no experience. Well, Darren Fletcher's going to go into negotiations with uh, Matt Judge. It's going to be fantastic to have someone in the negotiation room who's a football man who can talk to the opposition. If it, let's say if there's a player there, the opposition there um, about the football inside. Matt Judge is not going to do that. He's a businessman. So, you know, Darren Fletcher's got that role. I think I actually think it could possibly be a masterstroke. I think it's a, a very interesting thing. Um, and then you've obviously got uh, Murtagh, who's going to be the director of football. So 23 years of experience in football. You know, he's been at the club for seven years. He came with David Moyes, was a data scientist at Everton. Really is big on the big data analytics side of things where United have been lagging behind Liverpool and you've got mm -hmm. Leicester City, Manchester City. Look, it's the step in the right direction, isn't it? Ollie's obviously been working with these men now for at least six months, I would say, especially Fletcher's come in. Uh, may, maybe a bit less. So what are your thoughts on this? Because United are finally moving into the modern age with a director of football, a technical director. It's only positive, isn't it? And we can't turn around and, and judge this now in six months even. You know, you've got to wait a couple of years, maybe even three, four, five years to see the real, um, you know, come see this come to fruition really because it's not something that's going to happen overnight. They're absolutely the correct appointments. Make no doubt about that. Let's, uh, let's kind of discuss why we think they're the correct appointments or why we are where we are. Manchester United as a, as a football model, not a business model, but football have been lagging since Fergie left. So when Fergie was at the football club, in many, many ways, he was also the kind of director of football. You know, he was the guy that had the connection with the board, with David Gill. And David Gill had significant football acumen to make decisions. So transfers and recruitment and academy structure and philosophy and all of those things that we talk about on this show, they were all kind of in place from those two guys. That's how it worked. And the Glazers then sat in the back room and didn't really make a lot of decisions. You know, they just reaped the money and the trophies. Um, fast forward to where we are now. You know, I've been writing for, I think, four or five years that Manchester United need either a sporting director, which is what they have on the continent, where you have a structure with someone who overlooks the project from a sporting perspective, 
or you have someone who is a technical director with a kind of director of football, which is the model that we've got. Now, a lot of people were highlighting that Murto is very close to Ed Woodward. That's not a bad thing. Why is that? Because Murto is a football person, has incredible acumen when it comes to the game, technically, and both in a kind of practical sense of what he's done. With Everton, he was highly successful. Um, he's reshaped Manchester United in the back room at the moment. And I'll say this, if he wasn't already at the football club, this probably wouldn't be happening because he can actually get in Ed Woodward's ear and in his head because he knows him. He's got a bit and of trust there as well, hasn't And he? he's trusted. Yeah. And he's not just trusted. I think that the whole thing is when they moved away from Mourinho and moved away from maybe the Galactico image that Ed Woodward had for the football club, a lot of that really came down to the failure of Mourinho in that final six months, but the way it built up over maybe a year or two because Woodward had a lot of faith in Mourinho I think the wider structure of the football club, the likes of the Murtos and the, and the coaches and the kind of people who maybe people don't know their names, they'd lost trust in what Mourinho was trying to do because Mourinho is out for Mourinho. We know this. You know, he's kind of today, he's kind of showing at Tottenham Hotspur with what his comments were after the game, after losing a derby where he was 1 0 up. Um, so that was an issue. But I think when you look at these guys and the reason why they've been chosen, Murtaugh is, is someone who's already existing within the football club and has done really good work. But let's talk about Darren Fletcher because I had a lot. I had lots of tweets around the day it all happened, and people were saying to me, "You know, he's got no experience. What does it? What you know? How how can he become a technical director?" I actually think it's a really really clever clever appointment, and it's for this reason: is that Darren Fletcher? No offense to footballers in general because I don't want to say this guy, I know a lot of footballers, but they're not always the cleverest. They're not always the smartest people. Darren Fletcher is a smart cookie. Darren Fletcher knows about business. Darren Fletcher knows about how to get places. Darren Fletcher knows how to be, how, be a winner, certainly whether it be with restrictive kind of talent as he maybe had as a footballer. But hey, that guy's got plenty of trophies and he worked for every one of them. He knew how it works. I think it's a good idea that you've got a technical director that can talk to prospective sign-ins about the football club. I'm more than happy for Judge to carry on as a negotiator. That's what he is. He's really good at negotiating deals. Anyone that's dealt with him outside of Manchester United have always said the same thing to us, and that he's really good at his job. He can he can sit there and he can negotiate really good deals. That well, what profit I want to add to that, sorry, quickly about Matt Judge. And this is not me protecting the glazier regime or anything but there seems to be a bit of a misunderstanding that judge is the one that's turning around and saying no you know for example with sancho it's him that was an issue at the end of the day the glazers have their hands on the purse strings they're the ones that release the funds and at the end of the day you know people saying oh well judge is still involved there's a big just a mis misunderstanding or misinformation judge just negotiates he doesn't choose the you know he doesn't go and choose uh, the amount that we have in in the transfer budget or he's not the one that's got the overall decision making he's just going in there and trying to get united the best possible deal as, as he can the man has never had any power at all at manchester united he's a negotiator that's what he is he's just a director who kind of does that role he's really good in terms of the legality of contracts and keeping things in order and that's why he's at the football club he can do those things for manchester united going forward but it's also not a case of, you know, when we talk about signing players, I just imagined this a minute ago and kind of laughed to myself when you were talking about it. Again, people think that the negotiator sits down there at a football club and opposite him is Haaland. And Haaland sits there and goes, sell me Manchester United. And, it happens and, on future, and, Rob. That's and, right. and, and that judge kind of goes, 
uh, oh, let me just have a look. You know, uh, well, we're the, we're the biggest club in the world and uh, we want to win everything. And uh, is that all right? That's not how it works. It doesn't work like that. It's just not the world. Uh, now, Darren Fletcher will have, of course, contact with sign-ins and that he will be used for that capacity that's been said. But the person who will get people to the football club is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Ole talks to every target. Ole is the one that says, this is my vision. Come to my team. He was the one that got Cavani to the club. He was the one that got Van der Beek to the football club. And every sign-in that we've made in that two-year period, Ole has been 100% hands-on. So you'll have Darren Fletcher, who will be this go-between, maybe between the board themselves, who have not got the football experience because they're money men, the Glazers, they're more interested in the NFL, but they, they own the football club. So they need people in their remit, in their orbit, to help with running that football club. And Darren Fletcher will be really, really useful as a young progressive mind who knows what Ole thinks, who knows what the players think, who know the kind of player that we need. And he can help with, with the, the recruitment and the structure that goes with that. It's a clever appointment. I prefer him as a technical director. It was mooted about a year ago. So it's not new. So, you know, it's about a year ago, the first time we heard Darren Fletcher's name and Darren Fletcher connected to the, the technical director role. So this is not something that United have jumped in suddenly to make fans happy because we've now got a technical director and we're a modern football club. That's not it. A, a lot of people said to me, why don't you go and get someone who's experienced, someone this who's done wanted, it? This is what I wanted to ask. Someone who did it at Sevilla or Roma or someone like who did Gumball. it. Uh, yeah, you know, well, of course, the common one that I got and I think everyone gets is, why did you not get Van der Sar? Because Van der Sar's a director. Well, Van der Sar's not a technical oh. director. He's a CEO. He runs the business at Ajax. Over Mars, so, that's so, yeah, that's Exactly. So, so they all work together because that's the idea is that you have a board where you have different skill sets. You work together and you kind of build your football club that way. Manchester United need more of that and that has now been put in place. Edward Wood will still make ultimate decisions as a kind of not chairman of the board, but that is his role as a kind of CEO figure, as an executive vice chairman. And he, that's his role to kind of steer the ship as the whole behemoth of Manchester United as a business. That's his role to try and do that. So he'll be the guy talking about future endeavours in the new Champions League, whether, whether United leave the Premier League to join a European Super League. That's the kind of vision that he has. That's his job. He's not going to sit there and go... I don't know if I like Jaden Sancho or not. That's not his job. He doesn't care about those things. What his job is to make sure it all balances and that he can work with the football people at the football club. The fact that they have appointed these people tell you what these businessmen are thinking about. And that is that they realise that they've made mistakes since Fergie left. We have thrown it down their throats and told them over and over again as the press, we've held them to account, we've told them what they've done wrong. And it's great. They're actually doing something about it. And I think the appointments are are your middle ground. So if it all fails, Haydar, in two years' time and we're talking about Ole's gone and that these two guys haven't done their roles, what happens to them? They get sacked. Yeah. But, that, but that's on. what I to say, Rob. You know, you make a good point. Uh, look, I think the problem is with the fan base, and I can understand this, is that We've got owners. You see, obviously, with the Super Bowl, there's been a few questions. You know, are they going to care as much about United as they, do, as they do Tampa? They don't care about United like they do Tampa. This we are a cash cow, and I think the problem is, Rob, that fans are so hurt, and I understand this. And you know, the way that they haven't spoken to the fans, you know, in 15 years since they owned the club, the amount they've taken out, the debt, all these sort of things, fans are are really struggling to trust them. And I think 
when you look at it, how much money has been wasted? I mean, over a billion that's been wasted. For me, I think that's what's shaken them a bit that they've turned around and thought. And I do think Oli's got a big input in this. I think uh, Murto in there and you know Flexual are coming. I think even Nicky Butt, who's coming and completely revamped the academy, they've all worked internally. I think they've all come together and turned around and said, you know, we need this in place. So I think I think people need to take a step back and actually think of this in a positive slant. There's too many that are looking at this negatively. They're thinking, oh, well, you know, they're just going to be yes men. They're internal appointments. It's just, it, it, it smacks to me, Rob, of, you know, re real paranoia. It's, it's, it's quite odd for me. And like it's, you said, it's it's Brown, on, yeah. because I, I also think as well, like Luis Campos is one of the best in the business. He's always spoken about Man United a lot. But something that we discussed the other night regarding this was that we don't have a structure in place. This is the first ever director of football we're having, first ever technical director. You want to have, you don't necessarily want to go and get the, the big name out there and it to fall flat. You need to try it. You need to build it for a few years, build a structure, see what works, see what doesn't. And then you never know, maybe two, three years of time when United are ready to bring in, let's say someone, let's say it doesn't work, someone a bit, little bit better, someone with more experience, with more connections. You do that and, that, and then you've already got the structure in place to improve upon. They've been talking about directors of football for two or three years, Manchester United. So it's not a new thing. And they've been actively seeking out candidates for a long time, talking to people. I think what they would have found is that one of the things that Edward Wood did decide on, and this is a stylistic and philosophical decision, is that he's a Manchester United fan. People have to remember that as well. Edward Wood is a Manchester United fan, has been oh, his whole you know, now, 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 this is the whole thing about people were like, is he a Liverpool fan? Is he a United fan from the you know the Northwest and family? And where's his family from? And all of these things. I think that Edward Wood wants Manchester United to be successful because Edward Wood loves a bit of the old the whole ego thing. Yeah, I think he enjoys the football club that he runs. He enjoys his position and he enjoys that Manchester United are this big super club. You know, he wants it to thrive for those reasons. However, the Glazers don't care about the football club in that way. The Glazers run businesses. So, you know, you just said that they care about their NFL franchise more than Manchester United. I would dispute that. I think what they care about most is their bank balances. That's all it is. They're, they're, a business, they're business people. And they know that if they go and get Brady at the Tampa Bay, at Tampa Bay, they might win a Super Bowl. What happened? They won a Super Bowl. That's how the NFL works. There's all about cap space in the NFL as well. So that's also how a business works, whereas that doesn't exist in football. So it's a different playing field in that you can play these unlimited wages that can eat into your profits. And it's harder to win in football than it might, might well be in the NFL because of the cap space. You, if you're good at NFL, you're going to win the Super Bowl. You can do it. You can find a way. Whereas in football, there's much there's more variables because it's kind of much more free market, open sporting arena. What I will say is this, I think when you look at the structure now of the business and how they'll go forward, when they have these board meetings, there is now at least a segmentation as to what people do. And that wasn't there in the last seven or eight years. People didn't know who were accountable. Now, as a United fan, I really do not want to hear anything from the Glazers. I don't want them to come out and talk to us. Why? We know why they're at the football club. I'm not interested in owners. Owners are only interesting when they're kind of doing something right or wrong and you kind of sit on which side of the fence you prefer. You could be like FSG, go to Liverpool and say that, you know, you're going to do it this way. We did it with the Red Sox, so we're going to take that and restructure it as we did with Liverpool. And what happens? You become successful. That's not really what the Glazers are trying to do. But I tell you what, if Man United won the Premier League in the next year or two, the Glazers would be at Old Trafford holding that trophy saying, look at us, because it's all about image and about being able to sell all of their brands. 
you know, they love that in the NFL. That that um, was it. Joel got got to pick up the trophy in Joel Glazer because yeah, yeah. that's what they do. You know, it's an ownership model in in America. How that that balanced out that owners have much more of an input into structuring. I don't remember the Glazers ever being on the field when United won trophies on Sir Alex. No, because they wouldn't have been allowed to in those days. In those days, that wasn't a thing. But now we're in a new world, aren't we? Football's changed, uh, you know, and owners have become higher profile in football. There was a time we didn't know any of the owners. You really didn't. Like, if you looked at the top 10 teams in the Premier League 20 years ago, no one knew any of the owners. You might have owned, you might have known one or two or three big chairmen who had big personalities. But in general, you didn't know about consortiums. You didn't know about financing. You didn't know about debt. You know, we, we're now experts on debt because of what the Glazers have done to United. But no one had a clue about what the debt figure was when Martin Edwards run the football club. No one knew. Just wasn't a thing. So we may be a little bit more educated on that, but you're, you chose the right uh, word there. Paranoia. I think fans are completely paranoid about a lot of this stuff. Because I understand it's fed- it, though, Rob. I, do I understand, understand it. it. I understand it, but I also need to, people need to take a step back and look at themselves on it and say, is this what I do it for? Do I want to do it to be upset about this family from Tampa Bay, you know, signing new contracts with NFL players? Not really. So it's, it, Judge what you can see, what you can sing for. If you go and pay your ticket and you sing for your team and they don't give it to you, then you can complain about that. I agree with that. But there's lots of stuff that I think fans, again, think that they have some technical input into these things. They don't really. Businesses run certain ways for certain reasons. It is a big positive that Manchester United have identified that they've been doing it wrong at board level for the last few years. And that might have impacted the managers that have failed after Sir Alex, including Moyes, you know, Moyes, Van Gaal, uh, Mourinho, none of them got it right. But you can say safely that the board structure probably didn't help those guys. Just throwing money at these managers wasn't a solution. The solution is to actually have a strong football project project with correct recruitment, not always superstar based, but actually building your team position by position. That's how you win championships. Yeah, good point. Um, Rob, quickly, we'll just touch on this as well before we end. It's a it's a bit of a two or three-parter. It's more of a statement rather than a question, but this is from Gerard here. And Gerard's saying, these appointments for me makes me think we are getting ready to not spend a lot in the summer. This is so Woodward doesn't get the flack now. Um, and a third part to it, I think we're going to have an underwhelming summer. I mean, let's let's touch on this. I am doing a a Glazer podcast, you know, with, with Kieran and Joe. So we'll touch on that, but I do want to talk about this, um, you know, with the finances the way they are. And you've seen as well, they've sold shares and none of that money is going to go towards the club. I believe it's what 70 to hundred million or something like yeah. that. I mean, look, we're going to have to we, look, I'm being completely honest with you. We're going to have to temper our expectations. I don't expect United to go out and spend and as much as people think they're going to spend. I think, you know, possibly Sancho might happen, but after that, you're looking at maybe one, uh, maybe one or two more signings, not necessarily high profiled, and that's look. We know the issues with the Glazers, but that's the reality as well of of what's happened in terms of our finances. They went pretty when we saw them last hundred million off the the bottom line with uh, no match day revenue. I mean, I don't necessarily think that these these appointments are a way to um, you know sort of mask over and, and let others take the flack. I don't think so at all. I think that it's just the situation we are in with COVID and. United are not going to be able to spend as much as they want. 
Yeah, I don't think these appointments have got anything to do with COVID or finances. I really, really don't. I just think that it's, they've realised that they've got it wrong for a while and they're now to try to correct that. So this is a kind of soft way of correcting it, keeping people at the football club, people they know, people that, tr- that they trust. You know, you've got to look at it that way as well, that they don't want external forces coming into the football team that will, will mess up their balance as a business. So you have to understand that, whether we respect it or not. I think when you look at the summer and what's to come, there is no doubt that if Manchester United want to progress, that they will have to make sign-ins. What fans call excitement or kind of what floats their boat and all of that, it's just as fragmented as what we're saying there about whether something is right or wrong. Now, I've worked on 21 transfer windows now. I'm that old. Yeah. And the reason why the transfer window is such a big business when it comes to the industry and when it comes to the media is because the guys that watch this show, people that we tweet to and people that come, you know, speak to us, it, it's about the whole package of football, isn't it? And transfers is a big part of that. But sometimes I I think, you know, I'm not making excuses for the Glazers at all, but they've gone out and spent hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of footballers and got it wrong. So I think the, the facts is there, the proof is in the pudding. It's not really always about just spending lots of money. It's about getting the right players. So when we had those four or five transfers come in in the last window, what did everyone say, Haydar? It's not a good enough window. It's poor. It's not going to work. United won't get top four. United will be six. People are telling me United might get eight, ninth, tenth. Arsenal are stronger than United. Tottenham are stronger than United. Chelsea have got three hundred million pound worth of talent ready to go. Frank Lampard's going to be a generational coach. Here we are now, nearly a year on. No Frank Lampard. He's gone. Those players are not doing anything at Chelsea. Arsenal are a mid-table team who are celebrating their big victory tonight. Obviously over Tottenham. Tottenham have regressed massively after losing Marie, uh, after losing Pochettino, now with Mourinho. Manchester United's competitors have not got better. Liverpool are worse. The only team that's got better is Man City and you could say Leicester and us. We have improved to where we yeah, were a year ago. Now, that's not to say it's perfect. That's not to say that Ole hasn't got a hell of a lot of work to do. He really, really has. There's tons still to fix. We just talk about here, wouldn't it be nice if our players could pass a football? That's quite important. They need to fix that. And they need to find the correct players that can do those things. But they're not always Sancho's. They're not always Harlan's. They're the players we like because they're the players that we've talked about a lot and we know what they are. But it still doesn't mean that you could drop them straight into your structure and that it's fixed. Look at Chelsea, Kai Havertz, look at Werner. I'd have taken Havertz like that. I'd have taken Werner like that. I'd have gone, yeah, I want them at yeah, Man United. Oh, yeah. And 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 if they'd failed at Man United, we'd all be now sitting here going, What's happened to these two players? Sack the manager, do this, do that, the other. It doesn't my point is it doesn't always work out. It doesn't. So I'm happy to wait. Let's see what happens. I do trust that Fletcher. And Murto will want to make sure that there are signings coming in because it reflects on them. That's their job to make sure that that's ticking over. And I'm happy to see the Ahmeds get chances. I'm happy to see um, Mason get more chances through the middle. It doesn't mean that just because we do need signings that they've got to be in those classical positions that we're always talking about. Sometimes it's just about finding the right players that make you better and make sure that you don't lose as often, that you don't draw as often, and that you're a little bit more effective. Liverpool are the proof of that. When Liverpool went and bought Southampton, which is kind of what they did for a few seasons, they bought Southampton players and everyone joked and said, oh, what are you, Southampton or feeder clubs and all of this? 
Liverpool went on and won the Champions League and the Premier League. It doesn't have to be players from that echelon that we're obsessed with, that the transfer market constantly swells around as information. That's an industry on its own. What's important is that Manchester United keep improving, keep strengthening the squad. And I've got no doubt, I think that's what Oliver the Solskjaer will do. Rob, as this comment says here, Ndidi, Tielemans, Fofana, Castagna and Pereira, all to Leicester. All, um, you know, they went yeah. all star names. And that's what United need to do. And that's what I did say the other day. You know, I said that, uh, like, for example, Fofana has been such a good signing for Leicester. You know, 30 million, yeah. yes, it, it was it was fairly steep. But for the potential, you think about how good the player can be. Look, it's going to look like a bargain. And another th yeah, another thing fans have to, I know, again, this is kind of going against the grain, but again, fans talk about transfer fees like it's their pocket with all the cash in it. It doesn't work like that. Again, you know, I'm not really interested in transfer fees per se. If you've got Sancho for 108 million or 88 million, I don't care. Just sign him. You know, that's what I care about. Bring him to the football club, put him in red. Let's see him on the pitch. But we have to appreciate that the owners do care and that the owners will look at those numbers and they will try and balance the books because that's that's how all businesses work. If I was them, that's what I would be doing. There's no doubt about it, whether I love Manchester United or not. And that's why people who love football clubs generally shouldn't run them. Fans shouldn't run football clubs because they'll make bad decisions because it's all about the heart. But I, I, I just think that United just need to go and get the right players. I looked at Ahmed in that game the other day, and I think we should actually just touch on him before we go. I looked at that game. He obviously scored, didn't he, against AC Milan. Bit of a you know, a bit of a bum deal in the end with Man United, how they, they drew that game. They should have obviously won it. Um, they gave AC Milan too much. But I think what was great about seeing him in that game, on that pitch of Ahmed was that you can tell he's got something. You know, that goal he scored, people go, oh, that's all yeah. he could do. It was a back... No, that's a, that was a clever goal. He read that. He turned his body. He swiveled. He and made sure he... Got get into that position absolutely that's what i liked i thought here we go it's a guy running the channel already knows at 18 what to do it's kind of natural so i'm not saying he is that the answer to everything but i look at that and i think let's run it let's see what happens let's see how it goes i'd like to see him get more minutes this year we've seen that uh shortier's come through that he's a player now on the on the edge we know that medjbury's close that we've got other players that might actually step into the breach that are not from outside the football club. But of course, fans want to get excited about new faces, new signings. United do need new faces, but I'm also just as excited about what we've already got in the team. Yeah, it's something I did want to touch on as well, you know, as sort of the last word, Rob, for me, uh, it's been echoed in the comments as well. But I do want to say that I'm not, I don't want United to go and sign the Galacticos of the world. I want United to go and sign the players that are going to improve them, that are going to fit the system, that are going to be smart signings. I'm sick and tired of the Dimmerias and the Falcals, and I really liked Falcao. But, you know, these sort of signings, we need to be thinking more with here. You don't need to go and spend 50 million a pop every time, or, you know, 50, 60, 70 million. You can go and pick up good players for 30 million and develop them. And like you said, look, Medjury is someone that's ex that's excited me. I think he's going to be really special. Ahmad looks brilliant. Shoratire looks brilliant. You know, there's some really good youngsters coming through. United just need to supplement that with uh smart signings you know they need yeah. to be clever in the market especially when the money isn't exactly flowing it's not going to be and I, I i you know i get frustrated with the as much as anyone but we are in covid times i'm not expecting many teams um to to be going and spending you know 300 million again maybe they will the cities of the world but uh, i don't expect us to be doing that um rob any final words before we before we go I just think that all the things we've talked about today, we've talked about many different factors of Manchester United and the project and Ollie's contract and all of those things, the board structure. 
you know, I, I try and look at those things, obviously, from a technical sense as a journalist, but also as a fan. And, and I, as a fan, I am happy. You know, I don't place myself in that Twitter sphere where there's this constant up and down. One of the things I tweeted, and I'll leave just as the last word, you know, seven days ago, we were beating Manchester City. Seven days ago, not seven years ago, not seven months ago, seven days ago. And it has almost been forgotten like that. Now, quite a few of the replies said to me, well, you don't get a trophy for beating Manchester City. But the truth is that Manchester City are the yardstick. Yeah, not us. We're not the yardstick. We're a football club that's won lots of things over the years, but the team to catch is the team in blue. That's the team we want to kind of emulate at the moment. We want to catch them and overtake them. Now, Liverpool have had a bad year. We caught them. We overtook them. They're struggling themselves. They've got their own problems. But it doesn't really matter about trophies as it stands with the project. So if you go and win the FA Cup this year, nice day out. It doesn't mean anything. Someone said to me again today, Mourinho might win the League Cup. That will make him better than Pochettino. People actually believe this rubbish that that's how it works. Nonsense, so, Rob. Nonsense. It doesn't, it's crazy, but that's how people think. So that's football, isn't it? But my point is this. I think Ole, whether you like him or not, whether you like his style of football or not, he plays football the way I think Manchester United needs to play at the moment. He's going in the correct direction. It isn't always pretty, but he needs extra players and those young players to come through to up the technical levels. And that is what I want to see with Manchester United now in the next, say, six months. I want to see maybe two or three technical players come into the football club who can be bona fide starters, but are also part of the rotation and become important players. You need to go and find your Dennis Irwins. Yeah, you need to go and find players like that who come in, who don't really, you don't really see in a game, but they give you seven out of 10, eight out of 10 every week, and they never give you a bad game. Those are the kind of players that get you to a title. Go and look at that Liverpool squad, and that's how Liverpool did it. It wasn't Salah, it wasn't Firmino, it wasn't Mane. Yeah, oh, they're, the, the they're the glory guys. Albums. Yeah. It's the guys, it's the guys in the kind of trenches, the ones who are going to dig those trenches and kind of stay in there and look after the team and, and be brave. Manchester United need a little bit more bravery, but more than anything, they need technicalities, te kind of technicians who can push that technicality level. That's what's really, really important. That's what I see missing week to week. It's not effort. It's not endeavour. They've got all of those things at times. Sometimes they haven't got a brain and you see that as a switch off, but it's not near, it's not, it's not about, desire it's more about i'm going to be aggressive today and i'm going to be technical and if you can be those two things week in week out generally you'll win nine out of ten games generally yeah well said rob uh, i do think as well trophies do do need to start coming as well you know i think i only want one trophy i, I want know, the premier league well, I know, I don't, I don't, I don't, the rest of it is i like do you know what you something about the about the League Cup and the FA Cup. Go and eat your Frosties out of them, yeah? They're, they're just posh bowls. At the end of the day, the thing that proves that you are doing the right job is over those 36 games in the Premier League. That's the only, that's the only truth. You know, the rest of it is, can be luck. You can win cups with luck. It happens. Yeah, United used to be very lucky in the 80s. They'd win a cup and you'd go, well, we're terrible, but we won a cup. It doesn't mean anything. If you win the Premier League, it proves everything. 
That's brilliant. You can eat your frosties out of the posh bowl. It's just a posh bowl. It is. It's just like like the League Cup. Do you think Mourinho, like if Mourinho oh, wins it, is he going to lift that League Cup and go, I am justified. Look, yeah, I won the League Cup. He'll say it, it, but he isn't. He won't feel it. He's just lobbing it in the bin. He's won a few. He doesn't care. You know, Pep doesn't care about the League Cup. No, the, the best managers don't care about the minor trophies. The only people who care about them are the bragging rights with fans because, oh, we won an FA Cup. You know, we talked about Arsenal just a minute ago. What did they win last year? What did they win last year? Your brother's an Arsenal fan. Your brother's yeah. an Arsenal fan. Do you think your, your brother sat there thinking about the FA Cup now? Nah, he, he wishes about he was playing Champions League. Of course League. he does. He wants what? Champions League and he wants his team to compete for the Premier League. That is the all-encompassing truth with football. That's what your team, if you're a big club, that's what you want to win is your league because that proves that you're the best. The other bits, they're nice, they're days out, but... They're nothing. They don't really mean a Fun lot. days out, Rob. They are good days out. Fun days out. Yeah, nice yeah. to win them. Nice to win them when you when you get there. But ultimately, you won't be thinking about them three days later. It will be gone. It will be out your head. And the league is what means everything. Beating West Ham today means more to me today than beating AC Milan on Thursday. A hundred percent. I want to beat AC Milan, of course, because we're in that part of the competition and we want to get through. But three points against West Ham, so much more important to me. Well said. Guys, thank you so much for all your great contribution, all your questions, all your comments. Thank you so much, you the guys that make this show so brilliant. Please, please, please spread the word. Try and retweet if you can. You know, like, subscribe. Let everybody know about the Masterclass. You know, we need here. you to support us. We, we, no, we need we you. We need you guys, definitely. Absolutely. You are the reason why, you know, we're able to put out great content, all your interaction, all your comments. It's been fantastic, as always. Much appreciated. So make sure you go and spread the word about the Masterclass. And you can also find the Masterclass on so many different platforms at the bottom. You can see Facebook, Twitter, Spotify, Periscope, which is on Twitter. Uh, you've got YouTube, Instagram, Twitch as well, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts now as well. And you can also find us on Sports Social. This is the first UK's dedicated sports podcast network. You can find the podcast there on www.sport-social.co.uk. Thank you very much, guys. Have a nice week and we will see you next time. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. 